I, when I first started working as an escort, like I kind of tried to pretend like I knew things about sports and then I realized that it just doesn't work and I need to just be myself and just say, I don't know anything, (laughs) but then it gives them an opportunity to teach me something too. And you know how much men love to teach us things. Welcome to All in a Day's Sex Work. I'm your host, Blair Hopkins. Sex work is an incredibly inclusive industry, and people find their way to it from all walks of life. For many, it is a joy, a natural progression and form of empowerment and expression that they integrate seamlessly into their creative ambitions. Artists and performers are drawn to its provocative and expressive elements. Nurturing types are drawn to its humanitarian service elements. Some people just fall into it as a survival mechanism, and many lean on sex work as a means to greater financial or professional ends. It's a common trope that people, especially women, turn to sex work when other things don't work out the way they planned, and I've never understood why that has such a negative connotation. It's a fantastic fallback career in many ways. Sex workers get nay, have, to flex their admin skills and marketing creativity, the job keeps a person socially engaged and physically active, and it's the only job that's more recession-proof than bartending. Increasingly, there is a worldwide community and labor organization, literally the only things that make sex work a bad or disreputable choice are stigma and criminalization. But those things are changing too. I think the root of this fallback job contempt may have to do with American exceptionalism and the naive idea that many of us were raised with, that if we work hard and put our minds to it, we can be anything we want. But as my entire generation learned the very hard way when we graduated college into the Great Recession, that is not the way things play out in real life. I know lots of people who have achieved outrageously in their chosen professions who still hold a day job to make ends meet. To grow up requires a certain acquiescence to capitalism, and that means making compromises. After a lifetime of millennial ennui, I've finally come to understand that ultimately, the best we can hope for is to fumble our way towards something that meets our financial needs and allows us emotional room to attribute it meaning. Lysandra's in a similar place. She wanted to be an attorney and spent her 20s grinding toward that goal, only to be stymied by the insane cost of postgraduate education. When she started escorting in hopes of paying for the rest of law school, she drew upon all the skills she'd sharpened in academia to be successful in that field. Now, again struggling with displacement due to SESTA-FOSTA, she's ready to pivot again, needing the expertise she's accumulated as an escort into her search for daily bread. None of these compromises mean she's given up, mind you. That's not what compromising means. It means she's ready for anything that comes her way because she knows how to adapt. And her compromises are not at all wry. How could they be coming out with the kinds of stories she has? Tyler, Texas, which, like, if you look it up, I mean, it's... So, you know, the idea of Texans that people, like, portray in movies... That is like that town. <laughs> the people I like. I, so is I went like there. King of the Hill, is it like King of the Hill, Texas, or is it like yes. Oil yes. Baron, Texas? Okay. <laughs> like well, kind of. I mean, so it's close to Dallas. So you've got you know your Oil Barons in Dallas, right? And then mm-hmm. it's just like southeast of Dallas. They all have that like real twangy 
accent. And uh, um, it was just really interesting because I I moved there from, I was living in Parker, Colorado until my sophomore year of high school. And then we moved to Tyler my junior year. My parents were in the military. So, I mean, we moved around a lot, but it was just crazy. Like the culture shock from going from, you know, Colorado right outside of Denver to um, Tyler, Texas. It was interesting um and so you know in Colorado or really most northern states like girls wear to school you know whatever's comfortable especially when it's snowing outside like there's ice on the ground it's freezing you know nobody's wearing heels and these like designer dresses to school that's for sure um I move here and they're the girls are just completely dressed to the nines and then the guys are in like dirty white t-shirts and like, <laughs> uh, like work boots and, uh, you know, but you know, they take the time to starch their Wranglers. Right. <laughs> There's something very performative about gender in specifically Texan culture. Oh yeah. I mean, um, it was funny. I had to explain to my fiance, like what's considered like appropriate business wear for women because it's so different and like even the, the whole like idea of wearing heels but they have to be a certain type of heel they can't be over a certain height and you know it needs to be closed toe I worked for a law firm where I got in trouble for wearing a dress and not wearing stockings like you know uh pantyhose like I got a warning about it and everything it was nuts how's the dress code play out in the strip clubs or the like dress norms play out in the strip clubs down there compared to like is it equally oh. kind of decadent or, or like stringent or? So it really depends on where you're at. When I worked in Tyler, Texas, it was more acceptable for like the kind of the raver clothing, you know, for the girls that were dancing. So you'd see a lot more like neon and stuff like that. And but it was a full nude club, you know, on the floor. They wear they have to wear at least their T-backs, you know, the. I'm sure you know what a teabag is. Um, and then um, on top of the teabag, when they're walking around the club, they have to wear like a pair of, or they were supposed supposed to wear um, a pair of underwear that like covers their butt cheeks, sort of. I mean, you, you can't, I, yeah, it's a little, it's a liability to have them fully nude off stage. Yeah. Um, well, and then, so they did full nude dances in the VIP when I, moved to San Antonio. Um, and I, I haven't worked at one of the clubs here, but my sister does. It's a lot more, uh, so they have to have their nipples covered using like this, like puffy paint type substance, like basically like fashion glue, you know, when you're like making, yeah. but it's like the, a lot of them do, you can do the clear or you can do like the like gold or whatever, you know. So you can put clear over your nipples so that they're still <laughs> visible, but they just have to physically be covered. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it is crazy. I mean, I um and then when my sister first started dancing here, she actually started to kind of like break out around her nipple from like the paint and stuff. Yeah. I mean, like a tape or whatever, like that's gonna Yeah, and then um and then it's just so to make it even weirder so you know here in san antonio they also have to have their butts covered 
So they wear like the, the little skirts and, and, um, in Austin, just an hour and a half, you know, North of San Antonio, uh, they also have full new clubs there. So it's just a municipality thing for San Antonio with the whole butt covering and, you know, covering your nipples. Dallas has full new clubs as well, but they have the regulation for the city of Dallas, not the whole, you know, Dallas Fort Worth area that you have to be registered to dance or to be registered with the city. But if you go right over to Fort Worth, you don't have to. Like, I don't know if you've seen how They're it the looks. They're the same town. <laughs> like, literally. Yeah, I've, I've spent a lot of time in Dallas, much to my <laughs> consternation. And it's, yeah, there's almost no functional difference between the two cities. So what what has been your trajectory with sex work then? So you were in the clubs for a while and, and then started escorting? So I just worked as, like, a, like I said, like a house mom position. Um, my sister was dancing. And we moved to San Antonio for us both to go back to school. Um, for me, it was to start law school. Um, for my sister, it was... She is um, completing her bachelor's degree in um, I think public health. I got my Bachelor of Arts back in 2012 in psychology. And then I decided to go to law school. <laughs> How's that journey been? Well, I got into being an escort because I started the school year out working a full-time paralegal position, which I somehow thought I would be able to um, do and do a good job at while also going to law school, which is just like not realistic at all. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> you know, I was um, doing both simultaneously for maybe a month, month and a half, something like that. And then my boss calls me into her office and she's just like, look, I think we both know that this isn't working out. And I was just like, you know what? I'm going to be honest and you're right. Like I can't devote the time and energy that you want to this because I'm up all night studying. And on top of that, I'm having to like break early to study. And then I come back late (laughs) so that I can study, you know, adjusting to studying. I mean, we're talking like 80 pages like per class for the week if not more and then like I have to do briefs on every single case that we read about to be prepared for class kind of amazed that they even hire would that a firm would even hire law students just knowing how (laughs) rigorous the schedule is you know like they should know better (laughs) well I mean yeah but I I did have so I mean I've been I, I worked as paralegal for about you know seven years now so I had I had all that experience and I mean, when I I was in the master's program also for um, clinical mental health counseling, I didn't complete it, you know, do the the uh, internship and everything. But when I was in the program, um, you know, I had like a 3.8 GPA and I worked a full time job the whole time and I worked like a part time job on the weekends. And so, you know, I told her that. I could make it work. And I genuinely thought I could because I was thinking it was going to be similar to that master's program. And it is not. And this, it is not like that at all. Right. And then you also just don't get any breathing room from, from the material, you know, I mean. Yeah. So it was just like law, 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 law and nothing else. And it's just tiring. I had some of the craziest dreams that first month. Oh my God. I bet. (laughs) 
I was like in the cases, you know, <laughs> and it was a mixture of my work cases and then the stuff I was reading. It was really weird. So you're in law school, you're, you're just absolutely killing yourself trying to make the schedule work, working at the firm. And then you finally just, you're like, you're right, this isn't working. I got to do something else. But obviously law school is super expensive. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're getting to here is that I find out um, about almost at the same time that I lose that job, uh, that I have met the federal loan aggregate amount, which means, yeah, (laughs) I know, Uh, which means that, um, you know, I cannot receive any more funding, uh, federal loan funding from the government, period. I mean, there's no like, well, what if I pay back some of it? Or what if I get on some kind of payment plan? No, it is just, you know, no more you're cut off. (laughs) If you want to continue school, you need to figure it out. And here's a privatized part of the industry for you to start taking out more loans if that's what you want to do. Oh, okay. First thing I do is look at like private loans. I, you know, I'm only at that time 27 years old. Right. So, and I had just turned 27. (laughs) Right. It's been quite a while, I think, since anyone I, I mean, I am an elder millennial, so I came of age right in 2008 when the entire global economy like mm, collapsed. So that was the last time I remember anyone I know having a good credit score. I do not qualify at all for those personal loans. I mean, my credit score was, I mean, I want to say like maybe like 518 or something like that. And that's like on a good day. (laughs) And, um, you know, nobody's reported anything recently and I haven't opened anything recently. So it's just (laughs) kind of, you know, things are just slowly ticking off. Um, Because, of course, you know, my parents didn't really tell me anything about credit, just that we were poor but not exactly why, which probably would have helped. Right, or how any of it works, right? And it's not part of your curriculum either. It's, it's not something it's you not. teach you in school, really. Part of this is the way that, that the economy functions now as opposed to, you know, 20 years ago or whatever. But, you know, we're having our generation, we're having kids a lot later, mostly. We're buying homes a lot later, if at all. We're, you know, mm-hmm. so there's a lot of like major kind of quote unquote adult milestones that just um, we're slacking on, um, and there are a lot of really good and valid, like sound uh, economic reasons for that. But it's regardless, it just is the case. So like, you know, most 27 year olds, I, you know, no, don't have, you know, a working knowledge of how, you know, finances work outside of like, they need to pay their bills. Right. Right. Whereas maybe, Uh, maybe 30 years ago, 27 year olds did, but they also had four kids. So yeah. Yeah. You know, I still haven't been married or anything like that. So, and I don't have any children. So as far as like growing up goes, yeah, I definitely hadn't done a mu- much of that. Coming to the realization that I need some kind of plan in order to continue going to law school. If I, if I want to stay in school, if I want to reach my goal, I need to find some way to make the money I need in order to continue. I remember when I looked at it, it's a little over 30000 a year. So, you know, and honestly, if you throw into that living expenses, too, you know, for a year, um, I mean, you're definitely looking at over 40000 if not more. 
so then that that is then what kind of help why you transitioned into doing sex work right um well so yes and then um I was even just kind of looking at how much I've ever made as a paralegal you know period and I have never made um over 40,000 a year that's with like I said seven years of experience you know not making more than 40,000 a year yeah, there's not a, there's not very much upward um, mobility in that job. No, there there really isn't any, except for maybe uh, moving into corporate law and becoming like a head paralegal or something like that. Um, then you can make a little more money, but even then, I mean, you're probably not looking at more than sixty thousand a year. Right. So I was just like, you know what, I, you know, I've seen stuff about escorting, and you know, I have always been very comfortable with sex. Um, not that that's what it's necessarily about, but, you know, I just felt like it was something that I could do. Pairing the comfort with um, my sexuality and then the psychology background, I felt like I could not only do the work, but maybe, you know, do it really well, <laughs> I guess, as <laughs> a so, You've got a good read on people. Yeah. Because you, you have experience in that. I mean, sex work is, is so, especially escorting, you know, cause you're one-on-one and it's, it's really, really intimate. Um, it's, you do have to have a good grasp or read on people to be successful. Um, once I had the idea that, you know, I think I could be cut out for this. Um, and you know, I also think I could be really good at it. I start just, you know, researching like crazy, what I found that was most helpful and informative were like basically the assistant pages, the assistants that were working for escorts. Um, they generally had like a little bit of information on their page about like the job that they do, which then tells me that there's these parts of the job, right? I end up just deciding hire an assistant. The assistant is going to screen calls. I wanted to make sure that I went into it, you know, making sure I wasn't going to get murdered, basically. Right. What was your uh, first, your first session like? Oh, oh, my first session. Mm-hmm. My, my first session was like the most awkward situation. I mean, you talked about like, be, you know, pretend like I'm on a first date while we're talking, right? Like, this is a first date, like, times blind date times um just complete and utter silence from myself almost the whole time (laughs) (laughs) like I I just I didn't know what to say I didn't know you know how to act um other than you know of course the assistant I was working with at that time um had told me you know basically that I just needed to make sure I get the money up front. <laughs> right there on the which, nose. Which like, um, it's, that's the most awkward thing ever too. Like, so you walk in, like you don't know this person, you've never done this before. And you're like, okay, they told me I have to get the money up front in your head. So you're like, <laughs> how do I even ask this? Like, <laughs> where's the money? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh God, you're like he's gonna turn around and walk out, or he's gonna get mad, or like I'm just gonna look like an asshole. Like this is yeah, right. So, um, I think 
I feel like my face just had to be so red the whole time. Like even right now thinking about it, like I'm turning red because I know it had to be like just the weirdest situation for him too. And while know? all this is going on, like still at the forefront of your mind is like, because he, he's probably, I mean, unless, you know, may, some men are more experienced as clients or whatever, but he's also probably nervous or he's in a situation with a new person too. So it's like, mm-hmm. and you have to make this sexy, but <laughs> you're like, I don't yeah. feel sexy. <laughs> I feel weird. I really, yeah. I, I think I was, I was probably like shaking. I was just so nervous. Like, I can't remember how I asked him. I think maybe I blocked this out of my memory a little bit. Um, But I do remember like going into the bathroom to like count the money and change. Cause I did, you know, bring along a bag, which my assistant did tell me, you know, bring a bag with like a change of lingerie and, you know, condoms, toys, you know, whatever, massage oil, um, you know, whatever you want to bring. Do you, um, when you book clients, do you, um, ask about outfit preferences, things like that? Or do you just, so I used to ask about outfit preferences, but now I just kind of wait until like they ask for something specific because, um, the thing was, of course, when I first started out, like my number one thing was to come on the scene and be that person that will take, you know, your outfit request and we'll work with you, you know, on whatever and that you can ask, you know, if I'm okay with this fetish or that without me, you know, responding poorly, because I have heard, you know, that it can be an issue sometimes, I guess, you know, clients reaching out, asking about, you know, do you think you could wear this or something like that? And I'm getting some kind of snarky comment back. Um, (laughs) So, I mean, like I went through and I, like I said, I mean, I did a lot of research, so um, I kind of knew what type of escort I wanted to be um, going in. Um, of course, now that I'm more, you know, seasoned, you know, there's pictures of me online. There, I'm plenty, plenty of pictures. I want to say there's like, I don't know, 300 on my Twitter. <laughs> so you can see in those pictures what I'm wearing, which is generally representative of like what I'll wear when you see me. Right. You've got um, a vibe. You have a style now that like, you know, it, you, you are, you're an established, you know, service provider essentially at this point. Right. Right. Um, and I always really love that term now that you bring it up, the whole provider term. While I do prefer the sex working or sex worker um, label better than, of course, like hooker or prostitute, mm-hmm. um, I still think a provider is when it comes to escorting specifically just covers a lot more because it's not even necessarily, I I have clients that I've seen that we don't do anything at all, you know, um, clients that, you know, maybe just ask me to come meet them at a bar to have some drinks or something like that, you know, um, and then they still pay for the time that we spend together, but you know, I'm not necessarily doing anything that is sex. (laughs) Mm-hmm. So I want to backtrack a little bit. I'm I'm curious. I mean, you had worked in the in the club, you know, for a few months as the as a, a house mom. But even that, you know, that wasn't a tremendous amount of, of adult industry experience. Like what? How? Why did you jump straight from like, OK, this paralegal jam isn't working out for me. Guess I should have sex for money. Uh, I guess. So I, I, I know I said earlier that um, I've always been comfortable with sex. So basically, um, 
this all stems from, you know, when I was in high school, I was actually two years younger than everyone in my grade, but I had, you know, natural large breasts and I'm only five foot tall. So basically all anyone sees is just, just tits, you know, just, (laughs) Oh, that's so much fun at that age, too. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, about that. oh, yeah. And I mean, and I was so impressionable, too, because, you know, of course, you're already self-conscious as a teenager. I mean, and then add to that that your body doesn't look like anyone else's and that you get bullied by both, you know, the boys and the girls for it. And then I'm two years younger than everyone else. So, like, I graduated at 16. So, you know, when I moved to Texas was, you know, 14 and I turned 15. Um, and, but I was a junior in high school, you know, so, um, of course, really an Island unto yourself at that point. Right. So, um, you know, everyone else is 16, 17, um, where for them, you know, they're getting into sex and that's a really normal thing. Um, and then of course, I want to be able to join them in their conversations and stuff like that. So then I'm just like, okay, well, it sounds like I need to participate in this as well. I don't know. I, I feel like it was always kind of assumed that because I had large breasts that I was also, you know, a slut or whatever. So, and I was also just like, okay, well, people are going to make these assumptions, you know, whatever. I'm just going to do what I want. You know, I started messing around with guys um, my junior year, and then I finally, you know, lost my virginity my senior year, but of course I'm 16. Um, And um, both, you know, not both, (laughs) but, um, you know, all the times it's with guys that are older than me. um, Mm -hmm. And while the second I start participating um, in the sexual activity, I talk to my, you know, quote unquote friends about it. And then they start like passing around rumors. So then I am, you know, the hoe with big boobs. And I think you kind of have to learn to be proactive about not promoting sexual stigma at that point, because I mean, you know, when people are saying these horrible things, it's like, okay, well, what's wrong with it? What, you know, why is this even such a big deal? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So um, that was kind of my, my big comeback was like, so what, you know, I'm doing something that everyone else is going to do. Like, who cares? And And most of them are lying about anyway. Like most of the, you know, like. You know, half of you guys are either in the closet or you're lying about that you did fuck somebody or you're lying about that you didn't fuck somebody or whatever. Like, yeah, well, I've been paper you know, kids. Also consider that this is like small town, East Texas. Like, <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's pretty bad. I mean, even like my my senior year of high school, uh, the guy I lost my virginity to, um, you know, I was 16. He was 19. Um, and he had just graduated the year before, but his mom told him that she didn't want him dating me because I was such a slut. Even his mom worked at the school. <laughs> nice. I mean, That's so yeah. good. Good job. Mom. Um, and like, she never even actually 
really met me, like really sat down with me and talked to me at all. Um, right. You, so anyway, had, you had a reputation because your tits preceded you. Right. Um, and really it's just been something that has just followed me through life. And then, um, you know, once I was in college, um, you know, having lost my virginity and then that guy, you know, broke up with me because his mom told him. Not to. <laughs> I know. Right. So, um, I wonder how he's doing now. Oh, um, still living with his mother. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be surprised, but, um, anyway, so I get into college and I, um, I, you know, I know I want to go into psychology, um, and I want to, you know, advocate for, um, you know, people with mental health, you know, that's my, my big pitch. Um, <laughs> And then, um, you know, on top of that, I, I just, I get so, I guess, infuriated over the whole, not once I'm discovering all these stigmas with mental health, I'm also realizing all the stigma with sex and, you know, sexuality, human sexuality. Um, and like how even my human sexuality course, like, people are struggling to even discuss the topic, you know? Um, and it's so foundational. It's like, if you can't talk about this, you are not in the right major. Right. I mean, and it's just like, it's a basic human uh, drive, you know? I mean, it's, it's a part of our biology. <laughs> anyway, I also just kind of, um, I had a lot of sex in college. <laughs> like, I don't really know what's going through my That's head. I think it was just for accumulating. I was just having a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, I um, so I did get um, kicked out of my sorority actually um, my <laughs> uh, sophomore year of college because that a I got to name. <laughs> I got I got caught um, having sex with. Um, this this one guy that worked he worked at one of the like Starbucks on campus um in the same building that I worked at the computer lab um, so I'd go buy coffee from him every day but anyway so I was having sex with him in the car outside of the building that we both work in um and we were actually parked in the front like right along the um the sidewalk <laughs> like there's a sidewalk and then there's this parking lot right there and of course there's parking spots right up front next to um, yeah. and I mean, it was dark outside, but I, there are like, you know, streetlights along the thing. So, um, but I had my letters on, uh, you know, my sorority letters on my right. t-shirt. <laughs> <laughs> they brought me in to mainly talk about that. But then also there was this, uh, one of our other sororities at the campus, um, they, you know, of course we do things with them too. Um, mm -hmm. and there was one of the girls that I think she was like their social chair. Um, her boyfriend, um, had been like sexting me and stuff like randomly. Oh yeah. So that's, you're doomed. Yep. <laughs> I mean, she's, she's going to stay with him, but you're doomed. Yeah. I mean, you pair those things together. And when she approached me about it, I was just like, yeah, 
I mean, because I'm not going to lie and try to say that that wasn't going on. Like, I mean, nothing physical actually ever happened between us. But you know. anyway, so yeah, I mean, I got, I got kicked out of my sorority for that. If that tells you anything about <laughs> exactly what I was doing. You um, did really well with institutions. That's. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's. <laughs> and societal norms are definitely your strong point. So that's they, they are. I'm totally normal. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess there's actually almost getting to be institutions of sex work. I mean, there certainly are gatekeepers and things like that now, you know, as a result of, of all of the work that activists are doing. And that's interesting. Right. Do, you, do you have a lot of um, contact or friendships or relationships with other sex workers besides your sister? I had more contact with sex workers, probably, I want to say, like, the first year I started out. Um, and, and I still talk to a lot of them, um, you know, here and there. We're not, um, we're not that close. Um, but, I mean, I have the closest friendship to uh, a girl named Phoenix uh, that works out of New Orleans. And it's so crazy, like, when I first started working, I want to say maybe I'd been working for maybe three, two, maybe three months, something like that. And then she came on into the scene and she just randomly sent me a message on Twitter asking me about the marketing platform. You know, I, I've said on, on Twitter before, like if anybody wants to message me questions, you know, whether it's a potential client, you know, wanting to seek out a sex worker that has questions um, about how to reach somebody or how to talk to them or whatever. Um, or, you know, of course, other sex workers that want to know, you know, um, like I said, information on marketing or um, procedural like, things. Yeah. Just any of that or even just to talk. It can be. Know? Yeah, it can be really difficult to find people who are. um you know, like you said, you were you got on the blogs and stuff, but getting a mentor is is definitely a thing that a lot of girls uh, find challenging. And I get that because I, you know, I understand. And and the more I've been um, working, uh, the more I understand why some of the older sex workers don't really want to get involved with the younger ones, and um, why like they just kind of stay out of it because I mean, I did have issues with um, some of like the, the backstabbing nonsense, um, you know, the, which of course I think we should all be competitive and have like a, uh, I mean, because obviously uh, we live in a, a, you know, capitalist fueled society so I mean we're all going to be competitive but also to me I think we should also be there for each other because being in sex work can become so um lonely just not being able to tell you know your civvy friends or um or your family or anything like that like what you're doing I, I know a lot of girls end up stumbling through you know, when they initial initially get into doing it, you kind of have to just learn as you go. And so for them, like they've paid their dues and they don't need to help anyone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but that's kind of like the whole like, you know, my parents didn't help me pay for college. Why should I? And it's like because it's a nice thing to do. <laughs> but I get it. Yeah. And it's, you know, 
you're, yeah, you're training what like the, you know, hot young thing that might steal some of your clients might, you know, if you have a falling out, it's, it can be difficult. And there's a, and plus on top of that, you know, with the political climate right now, I could see an ambitious prosecutor. In fact, I'm sure I am certain that this has happened and I could probably illustrate a couple of cases pretty easily where it has, but like I could see an ambitious prosecutor charging somebody with, um, you know, sex trafficking or human trafficking for helping someone get into sex work. Mm-hmm. And I have, I have heard about situations like that before. The way that I came into it is very different from the way that most other people do. Like, um, a lot of people I met, they either like started out dancing or they started out sugar babying or, um, they started out because like a friend of theirs was doing it and they like, you know, told them, you know, how to get started or invited them to an appointment mm-hmm. or something like that. And that's how they got into it. So um, to just going straight, like right from a straight job into it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, that's why your, your question earlier was uh, definitely valid, <laughs> but I, like I was talking about, I mean, so for me, I've, I've always been really open sexually. So, um, and then uh, just to kind of jump to a little later, I was with an ex that, um, we were together for almost six years. Um, he was, um, he was not physically abusive or anything, but he was definitely like kind of mentally abusive. Um, and one of his favorite things was to like withhold sex, knowing that I was a very sexual person. Um, that was, um, you know, his oh. way of, you know, just being the biggest asshole he could possibly be. <laughs> And, and especially because he knows that I'm really body conscious too. He, um, had withheld sex from me for almost a year. Um, oh my God. I know. So, um, I, I, at that point, like was just so frustrated and like, so just depressed and angry and everything. Like I knew that, you know, um, when, when I was, um, which, you know, of course now I look back and this is super unsafe, but, um, when I was, you know, in that situation, I decided I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna cheat on this guy cause I'm tired of this bullshit. You know, I'm gonna get some kind of happiness. And, and he had said to me like kind of in passing at one point after we had some kind of argument about it, that, um, you know, maybe I should just go get it elsewhere and just not tell him about it. And so I was just like, I mean, why the hell would you say that? But right. also, I'm storing this in my brain right here. I mean, do you think maybe he was a little asexual or something? Or do you really think it was just about him just trying to be punitive? I I honestly, I have no idea. I mean, we were together six years, and I feel like I still never really figured him out. Um, other than that, he was definitely using whatever he could to just control me. I don't know that it was actively like, this is what I'm doing to... You know, I heard that people, you know, met up from Craigslist and stuff like that. Um, and, of course, I mean, this is like, I want to say, like, maybe 2013, 2014. Probably towards the end of, like, Craigslist being a place where people go for for that kind of stuff. <laughs> um, oh, RIP Craigslist personals, man. <laughs> so, oh. um so I go in there and I mean, it was not like a pay for play situation. It was literally like I just met up with some guys and I like had sex with them. And um, and then like it 
it then later I got onto like Ashley Madison and stuff like that. So it was kind of like I I experienced the the hookup scene, mm-hmm. um, or like the cheating scene, I guess, or or swinger scene, you know, whatever way you want to look at it. Right. Um, and ADTs. Uh, right. <laughs> Meeting up with a stranger for sex was not something that was completely um, new to me. It's always funny to me how people are like, I can't believe, you know, people do sex work or I could never do sex work. I'm like, I mean, when you go to a bar, I mean, virtually every person in the world has had a fucking one night stand. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, why not get paid for it? Get paid. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, you know, I, uh, that was kind of my thought was just like, you know, I've done this my whole life. I've basically done it before. Um, I just didn't ask for money. Right. And what's funny is like. I just played myself. (laughs) Right. I mean, what's funny is like, so on Ashley Madison, I'd actually had a couple people that like offered to pay me. Um, And I said no. And, you know, of course, didn't see them because I was just like, I can't believe you were just like. And now I look back and I'm like, man, that one guy had like offered to pay me like a thousand dollars. Like. (laughs) I totally should have taken that. I'm an idiot. (laughs) There was one person that um, I never actually ended up meeting with them because um, I think, I think he canceled or something like that. Um, But um, he had like a, a urine fetish. And of course, Usually my initial thing, if they say that they just have a urine fetish, is just no, that that's not something I do. Um, But then he was like, look, I have a urine fetish, but I don't want you to pee on me. I don't want to pee on you. Um, He was like, I don't want you to pee anywhere (laughs) except for the toilet. And I just want to watch. And I was like, I mean, okay. I mean, as long as like, that's all it is. Uh, like I don't have a problem with doing that. And then, um, that was, uh, I think that was the time that I started doing like fetish fees. So yeah, you're like, like, if you're going to add this kinky shit on at the last minute, like <laughs> yeah. well, the rates going up, like, yeah, it's well, fine, it was crazy because but... I had already screened him and everything. So it was like, I don't, we'd already talked about it. So at this point he's just like, you know, this is what I'm into, but I get if you're not wanting to do that, I will take this. And I was like, okay, fine, I will do that. Um, it's also but, amazing what know. people will do when you aren't pushy, right? Like, if he just was really, like, nice about it, was like, hey, yeah. uh, would you be open to? Yeah. And you're like, you know what? Fine. Why not? And that's basically what happened. I mean, he was, it seemed very innocent. So I was just like, okay. And, and, you know, you kind of get a feel for someone when you're talking to them back and forth in email for however long. But, yeah, and he, um, I think he ended up canceling, like, an hour before our appointment or something like that. And that was back before I took deposits, so. Or a cancellation fee. Now I do cancellation fees, too, so. I I used to do uh, this thing with my, with a friend of mine who's a stylist where we would, tour around throwing these, um, part, we called it burlesque me baby. And we would tour around and we'd throw these like hen parties and they'd get an hour with her, the stylist, and then me as the photographer. And, you know, we'd bring like champagne and snacks and stuff. And it'd be like a bachelorette party vibe or like a hen party vibe. And the first year we took full payment up front. 
and you know, we, it needed to be like at least eight women and we were pretty cheap. So it was like two or two fifty, depending on the city, a pop. So yeah, for an hour with professional stylist and then an hour shoot and you get 25 images. We had a lot of fun with it. And if you book like 10 women, it's a long day, but it's a, it's a good day. So yeah. The first year we took the full payments up front and then we had some people in some of the smaller cities that we went to where the economy wasn't as robust, where that kind of expressed that was a little um, prohibitive for them. So the next year we're like, you know what, let's just do a half. Let's do a deposit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because we have a lot of repeat customers and sometimes, it, you right. know, if we take the deposits two months out, we have an idea of how many, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. That year we had... Like, to be fair, a really nasty flu did go around, but we had two cities that we had to cancel for cancellations at the last minute, like after plane tickets were bought, because we got down to where there was only like three women coming because we didn't take all of it. Like, because it was just like, God. Yeah. Yeah. You got to charge people something. Mm -hmm. They don't don't value it, you know. I can't remember. I'm trying to think back to whenever I first started because I didn't have like an in-call location at first. Right. Um, so I would have to go get rooms or whatever, you know, if somebody wanted an call. But, um, you know, I wouldn't get a room unless um, they were for sure going to meet me. Because I think I had the first, I think the very first booking that I had, they were like just complete no call, no show for an in call. I just can't believe that I would I would have ever done that before, you know, just uh, schedule an appointment for an in-call for someone that I haven't seen before and go pay for the hotel, which usually try to, um, you know, if I did do that, I remember trying to schedule like at least one other client, if not for like, you know, if I'm seeing someone already in the evening, then I try to see someone in the afternoon or right. in the next morning. Just so, you know, if I at least see two people at this hotel room, then it's worth it. I don't know. Thinking back, it just wasn't that smart. But. Yeah, it's like, well, I mean, you know, it's like you've got overhead. But, you know, when you're new to, to any industry, it's you don't do that calculation the same way because you're just excited to be getting business. You know, you just right. want to keep the business. And I think that yeah. every industry especially you know any anything service oriented is like that you're just so yeah. stoked to be having some income coming in from this thing that you like to do right another thing about texas is that you know you need to have it's very much in an area that uh, is uh, very entrenched in the review culture that used to be you know where basically any locals were um, finding people. Though I would imagine that Sesta Pasta has changed a lot of that. Yeah. So, um, well, and then on top of that, there was another law um, passed on September 1st um, of this year, uh, specifically in Texas, that was even more limiting. Um, and so after that law was passed, uh, Eki ended up taking off the option of advertising oh, um, for goals. And that was one of our few free advertising places, because other than that, um, you know, it's basically Twitter. You know, at that time, it was really crazy that my business is actually doing really well. I, you know, I gained a reputation. Things were moving in the right direction. And then Pasta Sesta happens. 
there was just kind of like this mass hysteria, <laughs> um, uh, especially, you know, on Twitter and everything. Um, and, uh, so of course, so FOSTA SESTA April and then, um, Becky okay. went offline, Backpage went offline, um, and uh, we were no longer allowed access to um, the erotic review. One thing I like to ask everybody is, um, where do you see yourself in five years? Man, that is a tough question. So I actually ended up having to um, drop out of the law program um, because the time when FOSTA SESTA took place, um, I know I'm talking about past tense, but it also kind of, you know, dictates the future, of course. Um, so, uh, FOSTA has to happen right when my, my business was gaining momentum and it, it basically destroyed my client base. And I kind of had to start over fresh almost. So I ended up not making the money I needed to make. I ended up having to drop out. I didn't have enough. And, um, you know, of course, like I said, my, um, credit score was not where it needed to be for the personal loans. So close to that time, I think in about May, uh, was whenever I started dating, uh, my now fiance. So I kind of, um, I, I fell into a bit of a depression after I had to drop out of school and everything. So I just kind of focused on that relationship. Um, I kind of even stopped working for a little while. I wasn't marketing as much. So in the next five years, I will probably still be working in this industry. I want to say at least, probably at least another year, um, you know, maybe two. Um, but uh, I did start my photography business seven, eight months ago, something like that. I would really like to get on top of getting all of that going. Um, I've already done, you know, one, you know, completely professional shoot for another girl that works out of Austin. Um, I, I want it to be, you know, um, a sex worker focused photography uh, business because I, I noticed when I first got in that there were not any photographers locally that um, that were good photographers that were not just trying to scam girls for, you know, um, uh, what is it? The trading, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was yeah, even that's... this, yeah, there was even this guy, God, what did he call himself? I think his like screen name was like video guy or something like that. I don't know, but he was like a local guy that did some shoots for some of the girls here and, he he takes trades um and he his photos are not good he i don't know I, I heard some really bad things about him but the he actually reached out to me when i first started um and he had photoshopped like a guy you know you know the bottom half of a guy with his with his penis very large penis out um next to a photo of me like he took one of the photos off that's why I started doing the photos on Twitter. Yeah. Um, uh, he took one of my photos and then he started put it, yeah, Photoshopping them like that. And um, he was just, you know, I guess trying to market himself that way. 
Um, but for me, I was just like, how dare you? Oh, that's so <laughs> creepy. Like, what? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then he was like, do you not, you know, have pride in what you do? I'm like, no, I do. And that's why I don't want that in my picture. <laughs> um, Gross. Ugh, male photographers. Ugh. Um, yeah, I mean, well, sex workers have and, been a really substantial part of my client base for a long time. And, and that's exactly why, because you need, you need a talented people, but B females. So. Right. Um, well, and not even, not even just that, but like, well, cause whenever I did get professional photos done, it was a guy that did them. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was a guy that was referred to me by, um, a girl here that's been in the business for a long time, you know, really well known, one of the like OGs, you know, um, and she was just like, he is really professional and he doesn't charge that much. And, and especially not for the type of photography, because I started looking into like, you know, boudoir photos, um, through other people locally. And of course they're the kind of people that are doing like wedding photography and stuff like that yeah. too. So it's like insanely priced. And then on top of that, you know, I know that they're going to ask me prying questions about, you know, why I'm getting these photos done or whatever. And of course, I know I don't have to answer it or I can make something up, but it's just frustrating to have to do that. It's also Um, hard to be photogenic when you're on guard. Right. Yeah. I'd rather. um, And and really, that's how you get the best photos. (laughs) You know, kind of those in-between shots are usually the best ones, you know. Um, where they're not posing or moving to another position or something like that. Um, yeah, you can't, you can't get like nice candidates <laughs> or whatever of somebody if they, if they are <laughs> not able to have an honest, fun, like light conversation with you. I talked to a lot of other girls and their photo experience or, you know, whenever they did get, if they ever did get professional photos done, it usually was not a very good experience. And, um, there was one girl that said uh, this guy that did it for her, um, like wanted to be in the pictures with her and like had her take photos that were going to be just for him. It was when she told me that I was just like, uh, why? It's just a fucking creeper. Yeah. So we call him we call him GWC's guys with cameras. <laughs> it's, just, um, it's, such, it's a trope at this point. It's like, dude, come on. Yeah. You are a cliche of yourself. I know. And, and then you just see so many predators getting into something like that. And uh, so that was, you know, to get back to the question and the five years, I, I would really like to get that going. Um, and then within this next year, I really want to get involved um, with the, uh, the movement that, you know, while it's been in place, I, I feel like it is gaining more and more momentum there's there's more angry people and more people that have access to the internet now so you know yes I think right now is a great time to get involved in the activism side I I wrote a statement to um it was one of the organizations that went to the UN summit and was um bringing the whole FOSTA SESTA situation uh, into light and so they were asking people for, you know, basically to fill out a survey and give like a statement of, you know, how it affected them. And, you know, there's more ways that it affected me that I don't necessarily want to talk about on the podcast. But, you know, it's been very, it has made things very dangerous, really tough to run a business where, you know, you 
can feel safe. I mean, you know, you're already in a business that is already known for not being safe. And then on top of that, um, you give people this idea that if they do something that it won't matter because these, these sites aren't even up anymore, you know, for them, for me to go on there and get on the forum for the local area and be like, hey, this guy is one to watch out for um, because, you know, Eki did have its powder room where the girls would, you know, swap information like that. It's just, it's been tough. Anyway, so um, I did do that and, um, you know, they ended up using it and everything. And that felt really good being able to be a part of that. I think it's important, especially because there's so much, and there's not even enough, um, like, outreach centers and stuff like that. But a lot of them are in like California or New York or, you know, I mean, so it makes it difficult, especially in an area that is so saturated with sex workers. And then to, to talk to the girls here. And like I said, there is very much like a culture of competitiveness in an unhealthy way with, you know, your fellow sex workers. So, um, the there's not as much assistance available even when you reach out to other girls and stuff yeah that makes sense it's it is odd that there's such a saturation with with so little community but I guess it's just a matter of getting people organized and that's that presents a lot of challenges right anyway so yeah I want to get involved um and then um you know of course I'm going to be getting married (laughs) Um, so there's that. And then, um, I am still deciding, but I either am going to try to go back to law school. Um, and you know, uh, if that's the route I decide to take, then I think I'm going to move forward in it and like, uh, try to go into like, you know, human civil rights and stuff like that. Um, I, I would like to, you know, help out with the cause, you know, it's it's all hands on deck. So, you know, you'd be able, you will be able to find your place if that's what you want to invest your energy in. Either that, or I'm going to go back and finish my counseling and, um, probably go into like, uh, sex therapy or something like that. And, And that was something I was interested even way before, you know, all this. Well, so, I mean, you're, you know, really, I, you're really intuitive and you have excellent research skills. So, I mean, once you figure out what your niche is, you're going to be able to accomplish it because you have a pretty fastidious kind of nature, mm-hmm. it seems like to me. Yeah, I uh, I just want to help. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, whichever way that takes shape, um, that's my goal. What would you like people to know about? sex work or your experience in sex work? I think my main thing that I wish potential clients understood um, was that if if you're wanting to see a provider that asks you for information that seems legit, you know, I mean, because what I've seen across the board is either they ask for references from other reputable, um, you know, companions, providers, or 
more recently I've heard of like the driver's license with like your, um, ID number and your um, address covered up. So basically you're just getting a picture with your name and, you know, compare that then to um, like a, some kind of online presence, you know, that also has that name. Right. Uh, Or, you know, uh, like I use employment information. It's pretty basic stuff. And, you know, for the most part, honestly, if someone is asking you for that, more than likely there's somebody that knows what they're doing even. I mean, you're probably even safer seeing somebody that's asking you for that info. You know, I would just say I really want that to be something that catches on. And also, you don't need to yell at us because you don't want to give it. That's fine. Right. <laughs> if you don't want to if you don't want to give your personal information so we can verify for the in the interest of our safety, then move on, I guess. But yeah, no, that's that's really good info. I think a lot of people don't really know what it takes to hire an escort or what makes a good client. And and uh, there's not a ton of guidance out there. So that's really good information. I think sometimes people are caught off guard by a request for a deposit or, um, you know, or whatever. They think, is this standard? Is this normal? Am I being scammed in some way? Because, you know, especially like first timers or whatever, they just know they're doing something naughty. And so everything about it must be illicit in some way. Right. Right. <laughs> Whereas you're like, said, no, I just don't want to get murdered. That's all. Yeah. I mean, and like I said, I mean, I, I just, honestly, you are probably more likely to get scammed in some way. If you are not asked any information about yourself, yeah. <laughs> that should be a red flag. <laughs> So. It's like it's like seeing somebody who doesn't who isn't going to make you wear a condom or something. It's like, well, you're not really employing a lot of long term thinking on either end here, are you? Yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Uh, you mm. brought up the whole without a condom thing. That is a whole. Other <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no kidding. Well, where can people find you? Where where can we see your I mean, do you want do you have a website that you want to promote or do you want to shout out some of the photo stuff? Like where where do people find you? I think the best place is just my Twitter. Um, my Twitter has everything on it. So it's just at uh, Lysandra Ash. So that's L-Y-S-S-A-N-D-R-A and then A-S-H. All right. And then that has my website and um, tons of other links. All the ways to get in touch with me. Awesome. That's wonderful. Well, thank you so much for hanging out. Today's episode was produced by me, Blair Hopkins, and brought to you in part by Swap Behind Bars. Music by New Orleans' own Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes. Check them out at johnnysketch.com. Special thanks, as always, to Alex Andrews. To contribute to the good work she's doing with Swap Behind Bars, visit swapbehindbars.org. And remember, All in a Day's sex work is an ever-expanding narrative. If you are a sex worker, partner, patron, or other adult industry-adjacent person, I want to hear from you. Email me at info at adswproject.org.